Ryan Binkley is the president and CEO of Generational Group, located in Richardson, Texas. With over 300 employees, Generational focuses on business consultancy, M&A, and wealth advisory for business owners throughout North America. Ryan and his wife, Ellie, are also founders of Create Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Richardson, Texas. Before starting Generational, Ryan worked in various positions at Procter & Gamble and Boston Scientific. He holds a BBA from the University of Texas and an MBA from Southern Methodist University. Welcome, Ryan, to the Economic War Room. Well, thank you, Kevin. Great to be with you. Now, we've got a few mutual friends, and they've also been in your seat on this right. program. Uh, Nick Vujicic. He Incredible. wrote the foreword for my book, Pirate Money. <laughs> All right. And good friend. And Jakob Burns, who is a great friend and our expert on human trafficking. Well, they're both great friends, and I'm going to be with Yaku this afternoon and Nick. So we're going to see them both this afternoon. Excellent. So, well, uh, we do a lot together. It's excellent. Good. So what we do on the program is we do the bad, the good, and the beautiful. You know, Clint Eastwood had the movie The Good, the Bad, the Ugly. I don't like to end with ugly. So let's start with the bad, then we'll move to the good, and then we'll ultimately talk about the beautiful. And, and when I talk about the bad... I, I assume that you see some problems that were going on. You've just announced you're running for president, president of the United States, right? That's correct. So what are the problems? What would drive you to do something like wow. that? Wow. So the problems are, are big. You know, if we spend the first eight minutes on bad, we could spend 16 or more. But um, there is a plan. There's a good plan that God has for our country. And, you know, I'm running for president because we're in turmoil. Uh, our country's in turmoil. It's worse than what D.C. and media wants us to know about. I have five kids, 13 to 23. I'm running for them, for our grandchildren to be in the future. Our country has gotten to a place where it's so broken economically, so broken culturally, that we cannot solve some problems unless we begin to get both of these back on track. Uh, economically, as you know, we're $32 trillion in debt. We're Almost on, 33 now. We're on a path. This is the bad part. We're on a path to be $50 trillion in like eight years. And the interest rates are going up higher, so we spend about 8% of our budget on interest payments. And the consequence of all these things, bad fiscal policy, buying votes, buying college students' votes with money today, I will call it buying votes for everything with debt, has a consequence. The consequence of debt is, is larger amounts of inflation. The consequence of inflation is the Fed taking over, raising rates to try and stop inflation, which then is failing banks and recession. So now, Keeping people from buying houses, right. keeping people from starting a business, hurting their stock market investments, everything about excessive debt. In fact, the Bible talks about this. You're a pastor too. The Bible talks about nations under blessing and a curse. A nation that has massive debts is which? Absolutely. Those, those are where they're debt. And so the borrower is servant to the lender. And what this means is, there's another phrase that says is slave to the lender. So what all this debt does, it actually is the beginning part of us losing freedom. You know, many times this, this thought comes to us that it's this movement of Marxism that's causing us to lose our freedom and this movement of socialism. And that's true. But the bigger movement that's stealing our freedom today is debt. And it's all related to both of those things. But as we give up our freedom by giving up so much debt, we see the corruption that goes along with it. This is why I'm running. I'm an economist at heart. So I'm in mergers and acquisitions. We have do financial advisory. But I can see the whole pattern of what's happening in our country that if we don't pay attention to this now, and this is what I really believe, I think we've got a window of opportunity, Kevin. I think it's three or four years. I don't know the exact number. But if we don't dial it in now, put together a plan like Joseph did in the Bible to actually rescue the country from catastrophe, this is what I really believe is coming. I think something's coming we're not ready for. 
What does that look like? Is it economic catastrophe? Is it a war? Is it another plague? I don't know. I just know this. We're not ready for it. And if we can put together a plan that prudently, with wisdom, uh, gets our, our budget under balance maybe in five or six, seven years, which would be tough to do, but could be done with leadership, we can get our country back on the right track. If we'd start uniting together, quit vilifying each other between the right and left and solve some of our biggest problems, I believe God's going to shine on us again. Well, we're going to look at solutions in the second segment, but let's drill down on mm. that debt problem because the average person says, what, what does it mean to me? It's so true. Who cares if it's $33 trillion? I, I don't feel any different than when it was in 2008. Fifteen years ago, $10 trillion in debt. So uh, wh why does that impact the average individual American? Well, you know, I had about 60 young people, ages probably 18 to 29, over at my corporate office uh, about two months ago. We were just talking to them. This is the campaign headquarters. About their future and about debt and about so many things that we're running on. And I asked them, how many people know how much debt we have? Only like one out of 60 even knew how much debt we had. And they certainly didn't know what it meant, but they do know this, the apartment rent is $2,000 for a one bedroom. They do know it's unaffordable. They do know they have to go back and live with their parents after college now. Their goal of getting out into college was to be financially independent. So now they're coming out, not being able to afford an apartment or have to get three or four roommates. Uh, cars are 30% more expensive than they were just two years ago. Fuel is 30% more. Food is 30% more. So only if you have to eat, sleep, or uh, drive somewhere is this really impacting your life. And so we're, they're listening because they don't understand debt. And you know who does? If you tried to stack up a trillion dollars, I think you'd go to the moon or, or far beyond that. It's, it's almost inconceivable how much a trillion dollars is. And now we're 32 trillion. So, but they do know this, I can't afford to live. My, my, my income doesn't relate to how much things cost today. I saw a study about a week ago that showed the impact of inflation over the last 30 years. So I got out of college 32 years ago, and this is what it is. Houses are up 500% more, cars are up 400% more, wages 186% more. So all this inflation has meant basically, it's, it's, it's basically brought poverty upon all of us at some level, far greater than our wages have increased. And unless we do something about it, it will continue and get even worse. Well, I, that's all happened with the financialization of society. When we left the gold standard in 1971, since that time, the dollar has lost 87.5% of its purchasing power, which is phenomenal. I, I was 10 years old in 1971. I could buy a comic book for 15 cents. Right. I could buy a cheeseburger, chocolate shake, and french fries for a dollar. I could buy a Slurpee for a quarter and get change. That was my perfect um, summer afternoon was to have all of those things and I can earn that in one hour's work cutting the lawn at my parents' right. house. That, that's lost. It's lost because we financialize society. One of the things we talked about before the show is the financialization of nature. And that is now they're taking vast properties across the United States and they're going to make them as carbon capture units. And so they're being bought with taxpayer money and then they're being, we're paying rents to the elites. You were talking about pipelines. Explain that. Well, you know, so this is all invading our freedom every day. We have a we have a problem, you know, that everybody tries to solve with different ways. But we have this thing called the Constitution that protects protects us if we hold on to it. Well, we're going to need to take a break. When we come back, let's talk that let's solution of the United States Constitution and how it can protect private property rights. You got it. 
Before the break, we were talking about uh, the financialization of nature, and we were talking about these carbon pipelines that are going across land and how it's messing over the farmers, how it's a great scam that benefits the elites. How, how does that work? Well, many people don't understand this, but what's happening right now is that the big private companies, in fact, there's major private organization, and that's the key thing to understand, they're private, not public, uh, are basically investing in these large pipelines to capture CO2 emissions that come from ethanol or, or whatever, which is actually a benefit to plants that we actually... CO2 is good yeah, for we plants. we actually right. need that to actually have a plant to grow and uh, anyway they're wanting to capture it and actually put it in vaults up there in North Dakota somewhere so you've got now thousands of pipeline miles of pipeline already there there's a plan over the next 20 years to have 60,000 plus miles of pipeline through the heartland of America not just through Iowa but Nebraska South Dakota North Dakota Illinois all these great heartland excuse me states that have farms grow crops in they want to go underground and what they're doing is they're trying to use eminent domain to go to these farmers and say listen I need access to your property I want to survey on your property I want to actually build a pipeline and put underneath your property but here's the problem it's for private use there is no public use so this gets in and infringes upon our Fifth Amendment protections that you know we have a, the right to due process and proper payment and that's if it's for public use so there's a challenge there even when it's public use. Nobody likes to have some utility company coming on there even if you don't want it. But if it's for public use, they have an argument. This is for private use. There are private companies. BlackRock's invested in these. Saudi Arabia's invested. The Saudi investment funds invested in these as well. So this is a problem that we have. And we're seeing farmers right now getting their rights invaded. So we're standing up for them. In fact, I'm out there campaigning in Iowa. I've been to 64 counties. I've spoken with hundreds of farmers. I've met with one person that was in favor of these pipelines, and they actually worked for an ethanol plant. We're, we're just standing with them, and we're telling them that we're going to be a voice for you because this is the beginning of the end. When you start messing with the Constitution, when you start taking away our rights, our property rights, the basic level, then where does it, where does it end up? And uh, we're seeing these be infringed upon all I'll, the time. I'll tell you where it ends up. It ends up where you own nothing and you're happy, according to the World Economic Forum. Then we become renters of everything right. from the elites. And the elites are profiting from these pipelines. They've created a problem by claiming there's too much carbon dioxide. Now, we have a simple carbon capture mechanism. It's called a tree. And it can <laughs> capture carbon dioxide and it can produce fruit, food forests and, and forests and all sorts of wonderful things. But no, they've created a problem. They've created a solution that makes them wealthy and the rest of us subservient to them. That's the problem, and they're disregarding. How, how do you have property rights when nobody has property? Well, and this is the big problem, too, is that it's all funded by your my tax money. So all the benefit really comes down through these tax incentives that Joe Biden put together in his Inflation Reduction Act, which basically pays like goes from $50 to $85 for every metric ton of CO2 they capture. And when they do that, they're going to give them a big bonus. So now there's billions of dollars in this lifetime annuity going to these pipelines, and who's paying for it? You and me. <laughs> so here's a, here's a question. <laughs> we're paying for them to we're have We're paying this. for it. Is, is government the problem or is government the answer or is it both? You know, I think, it's, I think the answer is found in the first three words of our Constitution. We, the people. You know, this is a moment now where we have to recognize somebody keeps infringing on my rights why am I letting this happen? So what they want to do is, doesn't matter whether it is, we're talking about debt, we're talking about now land rights, we're talking about 
the government, you know, basically with the Fed printing money endlessly. We're talking about the damage of the U.S. dollar as our world's reserve currency. All of it is related with this one thought. We forgot we the people first and that the government was there to serve us, not us to serve it. So I actually think that government is the problem and the fact that we don't trust the people. It's kind of like in healthcare. Uh, we could talk about that a little bit. We have a huge socialized healthcare problem here in America. And one of my big solutions to help solve the budget is to de-socialize health care. I'm the only Republican candidate talking about how we have to demonopolize health care because it's eating away our economy. It has 40 percent higher inflation than regular inflation for 20 years. And both Republicans and Democrats aren't doing anything about it. So until we demonopolize that, it's going to continually feed this huge system. But if we get back to we the people, we the people need our rights protected. We need to have information. We've let the government convince us that we're either not smart enough or things are too complicated for us to understand and just to trust them. Well, so that's why they're killing free longer. speech rights. That's why they're trying to ban Facebook posts. Uh, I guess it's X now, twi- twi- tweets. Uh, they're trying threat. to. Pre- You're a threat, Kevin. <laughs> only allow us to hear and know what they want us to hear and know. That's exactly right. And so, you know, we're challenging the system. We're challenging everything that goes up. And so I'm a Republican candidate, and I'm actually challenging the Republican Party. I'm like, what are we doing? We've lost our voice. When's the last time we had a Republican candidate speak these words? Excuse me, President, I want to have a balanced budget. I think it was Ronald Reagan. Um, we had, President Bush didn't do it. Um, President Trump didn't do it. We went $7.5 trillion in debt under President Trump's four years of leadership. So this is a big consequence. He started off well, but he didn't end well. And so we got to a place now where we've we forfeited our rights. We quit leading. I'm calling our party. Let's get back to who we are. We used to be fiscal conservatives. You remember that Tea Party? I asked some Tea Party members recently, what happened? They're like, we're gone. You know, this, this thought of us capturing back, we've lost our voice, we have to get it back. Well, you know what, when you, when you said that, actually President Reagan presided over a, an unbalanced budget, but the economic growth that he put in place, combined with Newt Gingrich and the restraint on spending in Congress, allowed President Clinton to give us, you know, a two-minute balanced budget. Yes, yes he did. And, and then uh, we got into the war on terror. Well, this is what I like, though, about Reagan. You're right, he didn't have a balanced budget, but he did push for it. He had other restraints going on. He defeated Axis powers. We're in a huge time of defense spending that was increasing a large scale. But it was a moment of leading, though, at least communicating. What is the heart of our party? Who are we? We haven't even pe- had people think about that. You know, we've just been spending money like it's not even it's monopoly money we're throwing on the table. And we have to remind America it's not. It is a fiat currency, but we can get it back under control. But it's going to take stewardship. Yeah, no, what it's like, it's like a young family given an unlimited credit card until they put a limit on it. And then they're over the limit and then they're in deep trouble. And that's where we are almost as a nation. All right, so you've we are listed. There. We are already there. We are there. You've listed a lot of things on your website uh, lead with integrity, free the economy, solve immigration, achieve world class education, uh, trust in God again. Restore unity. There are a lot of nuances in there. In our third segment, I want to get down and drill down to how do you practically free the economy? How do you solve immigration and so forth? So we'll need to take another break. When we come back, let's get into what the world should look like. Okay. So we've talked about the problems. We've talked about you're running for president and you have some ideas. What is your vision for America? Wow. 
So the bigger vision for America is absolutely revival. A revival economically and a revival at the heart level, spiritually, on who we are. You know, we have to recognize as a nation, first of all, we've left God. Kevin, you know, in Scripture in Ezekiel, it says that there are judgments that come on a land when they've sinned and when they've left God. Uh, It's interesting. There's four of them. It talks about there being a plague, being a famine, being war, or being wild animals running through your land. Mentions four specifically. When I read that, I'm like, three of those are going on right now. (laughs) Oh, no. We've had a plague. First time in my lifetime we've had a plague impact us. Did we look up to God? No, we passed that moment by. We're in a war. If this was just a judgment on Ukraine, why are we paying for it? We're paying for it now. I don't know about the wild animals. I've had, I've had a run of squirrels and raccoons before, but at the end of the day, we do have famine, which is hunger. 11% of America is food deficient. We've seen the drought all throughout Western America. So I think God's trying to get our attention. So what does it look like, a revival look like? I think it's when we start looking up and then asking God, how would you do it? Jesus gave us the words on how to solve economic crisis. He pays attention to things that many times we overlook. The hurting, the poor, the least in society, the immigrant, the youth of today. And so one of the big key things besides solving the budget, besides fixing health care, is do this. How do we start a job movement in urban America? The Republican Party is nowhere near urban America. We've lost 88% of the vote. We lost 46 of the top 50 cities. If we want to win America back, we lost... We only won 46% of the vote nationwide in the last two elections. We have to have a solution that's an alternative to socialism for urban America, and I have one. It's called job training at the high school level, vocational skills that we had back when we were growing up. We were number one in education. We can get that back through a volunteer movement of college students teaching third graders on how to read again. We've fallen so far behind. Only one out of six kids are reading at the eighth grade reading level. So we have to start an education movement and a job movement, getting people ready for out of high school to be a success. Well, you know, I think about it. When we talk about the urban, you're you're right. The, The largest a uh, city in Texas that is voted Republican is Fort Worth. But most of the big, large cities, Dallas, Houston, El Paso, San Antonio, are solidly Democratic. And they're led in large part by socialists. Mayor, and they're f- in large part failing. Dal- Dallas has a huge budget problem, uh, a huge debt problem. And you look at Detroit, you look at Philadelphia, you look at Chicago, uh, you look at San Francisco. Maybe the most beautiful city in America is now one of the ugliest cities in America with feces on the street and everything else. So that's a failing. But the Democrats don't want to talk about it because they're the ones that are failing there. And the Republicans don't want to talk about it because they don't see that as their territory. And so nobody's talking about these cities. And yet the World Economic Forum wants to push all of us in these major, large, 15-minute cities to where you can't travel very far from your home. It's all about treating us not as individuals, but treating us as as property or cattle or... Well, this is the biggest opportunity for the Republican Party right now. I mean, we're in the days of, to me, uh, Jimmy Carter. You know, Joe Biden is our generation's Jimmy Carter. I mean, we're not right now. We're in high time inflation. We're in stagnant growth. We have a lot of economists projecting recession in this next year. Difficult moments. But what's the opportunity? Opportunity is for us to dive right into urban America, not ignore it, because we did lose Fort Worth in this last election to to Joe Biden. We can actually do this. We can do this. But how are we going to do it? I'm calling it love your neighbor. I had a bunch of college students over you know, recently, and I said, listen, you hate politics already. And by the way, 70% of college students voted Democrat in the last election. Uh-huh. I said, you hate politics already. 
Join me in a movement to love your neighbor. What does that mean? Let's, let's volunteer. Think of the Peace Corps in the 60s and 70s. Let's start that movement with college students. They're spending five hours a day on their phone. Let's spend five hours a week volunteering in the life of a third grader, teaching them how to read, write, and do math. Let's excel again. Let's start this work movement again. We can get people off social welfare systems if we give them a living wage job. This is the movement, I believe, for the Republican Party because the, the electorate has changed. Right now, the Republicans' message hasn't changed. The, and we, we've been the same for 40 years, but we've not changed to the changing electorate, which means we don't have to change the core who we are, but we have to address the needs in a different way. And that's, that's what I'm calling us to do. Don't ignore urban America. They're the fastest growing segments of our society. Don't ignore college students. There's going to be 70 million people under 30 vote for this next election, millennials and Gen Zers. Let's embrace them. Let's give them a message that speaks to their heart, gets them volunteering, gets them serving, and we can change America. You're practically addressing real issues. I saw on your website immigration is an issue, which is impacting the cities crazy. Absolutely. I mean, it impacted the Texas cities, and then Governor Abbott decided, well, we'll just offer you some buses and planes, and now it's impacting uh, Massachusetts and Boston and impacting New York, and, and all of a sudden they're panicked. Uh, where they get a fraction of the immigrants that are coming here. But these are real people, real Absolutely. people. And what you just said, love your neighbor, is, is actually a pastor's view. Uh, I see the pastor in you coming out, the pastor's view of how do we solve problems. Well, Jesus never said hire the government to take care of your neighborhood. He said, you love your neighbor. So we've had this mentality. Let's get the government to take care of it so I can go take Johnny to soccer practice five days a week. No, you have to take some time to be involved in people's lives. And this is how we can do this. Because then when we do this, Kevin, they're going to see that, wow, it wasn't the government that helped me come out of welfare. It wasn't the government that helped me get an education. It was a friend. It was a mentor, somebody in my life. And I believe this. I believe this when we pay attention to the immigrant. We have to secure the border. My plan secures the border with actual funding, but also for the people that have been here the longest, 10 or 20 years or some number, and we have work needs here. It provides some sort of worker registration, come out of the shadows moment, uh, fines to be paid if they broke the law. Most people, but it gets rid of sanctuary cities, gets rid of catch and lease, stops this flow of fentanyl, but we have to do it together. Republicans can't do it alone. When we do this, we're going to get God's attention. He pays attention to how you treat the poor, the immigrant, the stranger at the gate, the widow, the orphan. And that's what we need. We need God looking down on us again. Well, what you're talking about is revitalizing the culture, uh, making people to where they're proud to be American because we do care for people more than any other nation around the world. We've shown more compassion, more support. We've sacrificed more for other nations. And yet we're treated very poorly and we have a poor self-image. You're talking about restoring uh, what it means to be an American. Proud to be an American like the Lee Greenwood song. It's so true. You know, I have a feeling if a college student wore a, a T-shirt with American flag on campus today, that they just might be ridiculed. Because this, this moment of being proud to be an American is not there. And that's actually the vision I have. You know, when we are restoring our place economically, where we're sound, we have a budget under control, inflation's under control, we've, we've changed health care, we're respecting each other, we've quit the division. You know, Abraham Lincoln said this, he quoted Jesus, a house divided cannot stand. We end this division. And my goal is that one day, by our 250th birthday in three years, that we'd all be able to say this, regardless of age or race, I'm proud to be an American. That's part of our goal. That's awesome. Where can they learn more about your campaign? Well, Binkley2024.com is our website. Please go there and learn more. Uh, we have a movement that started, and we'd love for you to join us in that, share and, on social media uh, our, our messages out there. We really appreciate it. 
Well, you're going to learn more about Ryan Binkley in our free economic battle plan. You get your copy at economicwarroom.com. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.